Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Each week, we hear real-time stories from athletes and CEOs on how to maximize performance through an endurance mindset. Let's get started. Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Today's guest has devoted his life's work to chiropractic profession. He holds a Bachelor of Science in Chemistry from George Washington University, a Bachelor's of Science in Human Biology, and a Doctorate in Chiropractic from the National University of Sciences. With over 15 years of clinical experience, the owner of the Mid-Atlantic Clinic of Chiropractic, please welcome Dr. Amir Rashidian. Welcome, Dr. Amir. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. It's uh, great to have you on the show. Um, we focus on this show on endurance and endurance leadership. And my favorite question to ask my guest is, Dr. Amir, tell me about how your endurance mindset has affected your life unexpectedly. You know, bottom line is uh, you keep going. I, I believe the, the main reason that we fail at times is because we're not equipped to handle the stress that comes our way when we go after our dreams, goals, and aspirations. And so um, I, I feel like the more um, I use that endurance mindset, the more I realize what I'm really capable of. You know, there's a saying that says, you never know how far you can go until you risk going too far. I think that's, that's what I'm learning. You know, it, it, was, it was tough and stressful when we were a smaller organization. And then when we got a little bigger, I thought, wow, that, that, this has got to be extremely stressful. But where we used to be, where I thought it was stressful, it's not stressful anymore. And so I, I think um, it all comes to adaptation. If you want your body to get stronger, you want your mind to grow, you want your capacity and capabilities to increase, you have to have that endurance mindset and then just one step at a time. I love it. And it's very, very well said. Um, where my mind went when you were responding is thinking about chiropractic and flexibility and Walk us through that, what you just said about going a little bit further and going a little bit further and how that applies to our bodies, our muscles. Bottom line is this one thing. I want to define the word health first. Health is function. Health is how well you're functioning. Health means your immune system is functioning, cardiovascular system is functioning, your musculoskeletal system is functioning, your hormonal system is functioning. All those systems are functioning in cooperation with each other, monitored and controlled by your brain and the nervous system. So that's that's the definition of health. Now where chiropractic comes into that is that we believe how healthy you are is determined by how much stress you can safely handle. I, I'll give you an example. We call it the general adaptation potential. It's your ability to adapt to stress. So GAP is the acronym, general adaptation potential, gap. So if your gap is this wide, that means you can handle this much stress. And the minute your stress level goes above that, you are now susceptible to illness and injury. That's why some people will catch a cold in the summer because their stress level was above what their tolerance is. Now, if you keep your stress level low, you just get weaker and weaker. For example, you do Ironmans. You know, if, if every time you're training for something like this, you run less distance, a shorter distance, you, you bike a shorter distance, you swim a shorter distance, and every time you do less and less and less, you're never going to get stronger. So you, you have to push. So you, we, our focus can't ever be lowering stress. It has to be increasing stress. So where does chiropractic come in? Uh, chiropractic is based on the premise 
the human body is self-healing, self-regulating, which means if you need an enzyme, you produce it. If you need a hormone, you produce it. You need your muscles to get bigger. You adapt to the stress you put on those muscles. Same with joints, glands, organs, blood vessels. Everything is under the control of the brain through the nerves. Chiropractic is based on the premise that the nervous system also controls all those functions in your body. And so if there's no interference in the system of nerves that come out of your spine, that go to your organs, glands, blood vessels, then you should have the best health you could possibly have, which means you should be ready, able, and capable of handling the stress in your life and a little bit more. If there's interference in that system of nerves, be it a misalignment in the spine or a thought or a chemical disturbance in the nervous system, because thoughts, trauma, and toxins can interfere with the nervous system, then the body can't do what it was originally designed and planned to do. That's when stress can cause sickness, illness, and injury. You know, I'd love to dig in slightly deeper into the do a little bit more. Because um, part of me, and to your point, right, I, I do enjoy pushing the envelope and doing a little bit more and taking on these big feats. But at the end of the day, it doesn't feel like a big feat once you accomplish it, which is another sort of discussion point. But is there a limit? Like it, when we do a little bit more and we do a little bit more, do we eventually get to a point that says, okay, there isn't a little bit more to do or without running a risk of injury or fatigue or something? Like when does that? It's not a straight line all the time. So talk to us about sort of that progression. Yeah, your environment has a lot of um, uh, effect on that. But I saw a quote by Bruce Lee that said, there are no limits, only plateaus. I don't know if there's a limit. Uh, you, you look at the human potential and what some people have accomplished is just absolutely incredible. Uh, and then we also know people who underachieve on a regular basis. And, uh, and, and then uh, th th there are people who probably come to you and, and say, how do you handle all this? You, you run you run your businesses, you run your podcast, you train for Ironmans, you have a family. How do you do it? I mean, that's I, I couldn't do a percent of what you do is what you might hear saying. And then you go like you just said, but for me, it's not that hard because you know what? You trained for it. So I'll give you another example. Uh, MMA fighters in the UFC used to get injured two weeks out from a big fight. And the reason was training ramps up. You have to bring in tougher and tougher sparring partners as you get closer and closer to the big fight. As the tougher sparring partners come in and they give you their best, you're susceptible to injury. And so they were trying to figure out what we can't train softer as we get closer to the big fight, but how do we keep training hard and not get injured? And so they discovered a test called heart rate variability. Now we do that test in our office as well. Bottom line is heart rate variability measures your tolerance to stress uh, and, and how you've been handling stress over time. There's different versions of heart rate variability based on the mathematical formula you use. So for example, the one that they use for the UFC fighters was every day they show up in the gym to train, they do their heart rate variability. And if their heart rate variability is in the green, they train all out hard. They, they work out so hard, they're throwing up in the back. If it's in the yellow, they train a lighter workout. They go, you haven't fully recovered. We're not going to push too hard today. And if they're in the red, they send them home. We're not training at all today because if we do, you're going to get hurt. And that's how they were able to reduce those injuries. Uh, the one we use in our office can actually also tell you if your body sits in fight or flight at rest, 
or if it's in a rest and a repair state, or if it's balanced between the two branches of the nervous system, which is powerful because you, you could be mentally and emotionally in a calm state, but your body acts like you're in anxiety, in fight or flight. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, the minute the body moves into fight or flight, like for example, before the big race, you're a bit nervous. Would you agree? Oh yeah. And you know, I was on the track team in high school and I wasn't one of the best runners, but I noticed that really amazing runners, they would go in the bushes and throw up right before the race. Just because two things happen when you're in a state of high anxiety uh, or, or high excitement. By the way, there's no difference physiologically. You could be excited or you could be anxious and the human body acts exactly the same, which is very interesting which means sometimes in business, you need to reframe that anxiety because it's energy. So you say, what am I so excited about? And instead of saying, why am I so anxious? Why am I so nervous? What am I so scared about? Change the question and ask yourself, why am I so excited? Because it's the same exact body response. So what happens is when your body goes into fight or flight, things that happen are pupils dilate, uh, blood leaves your face, your hands and your feet, uh, mouth and eyes get dry, uh, digestion slows down or stops. That's why people throw up and your immune system tanks. And so in long-term fight or flight, those are the people who have chronic sinus infections. Those are the people who get sick every month. Even if it's warm outside, they still catch a cold. Those are people who have chronic constipation. They have bowel movements every third day and they don't know why, or they have indigestion where the food sits in their stomach. And so heartburn, there's two types. Uh, there's more than that, but to simplify it, if you're getting acid reflux immediately after you eat or when you're hungry, that's true acid reflux. If you're getting heartburn an hour or 90 minutes after you eat, that's actually indigestion. That means you're not digesting your food properly. One of the mm -hmm. biggest deficiencies in America today is stomach acid. Our stomach acid starts to decline because we're in that state of heightened awareness, that state of stress. And I, I don't want to go down a uh, big, big monologue about that, but um, you know, just, just to talk about how, how do we figure out that limit and whether there's a limit to this? Um, I think you have to monitor heart rate variability is a good one. Um, and then another one is just see how you're feeling. Listen to your body. I, there was a day recently when I went to the gym and I felt run down and I pushed it anyways. And I pulled a hamstring and I, I know I would have never pulled a hamstring if I'd waited one more day and done the same workout the next mm -hmm. day. But I wasn't listening. So we need to pay attention. You grow on the edge of discomfort. So if this is the top limit of the stress, you need to keep it in this range and every once in a while go up and then bring it back, go up and bring it back. It's like uh, muscle growth. When your muscles are trying to grow, you don't want to constantly push it and always do that one rep max. You push into it and then you back off and you do progressive overload and build back up again. And then the body can adapt. So- I hope that answers the question, but we can certainly go deeper. It absolutely does. And I'd love to talk more about the heart rate variability and it, and the case that you just mentioned about going to the gym and not feeling it and you pushed anyways and pulled your hammy. Without a device, how would have you measure, other than you're just like how you feel, you're feeling sluggish for the day, like how could you measure your heart rate variability or, and or, and sorry to put two questions in one, but from a technical perspective, what do you mean by heart rate variability? Is it where you were when you woke up to where you were when you're going to make your decision to do your exercise? Is that the variation or is there just sort of monitoring across a period of time? So heart rate variability doesn't change too much minute to minute. And uh, 
there, there are different algorithms you can use to do the calculations. The one we use in my office doesn't even change day to day. It changes like every four months, every three to four months, you'll see a shift. So, so that's a different formula. The ones you can wear on your wrist can tell you to the minute where you are, but it's usually based on how much you recovered the night before. So during the day, that heart rate variability doesn't change too much. The, the, the test heart rate variability has been around since the 1970s. It was discovered by cardiologists. And here's how it became uh, uh, known is they created this thing called a pacemaker. When the heart, what the rhythm of the heart wasn't working right, cardiologists said we can create a device and put it on the heart and set the rhythm for the heart artificially, mechanically, uh, or electrically. And so they created this pacemaker that made the heart beat one beat per second. So there's exactly one second between every beat. When they put that on the heart, the heart couldn't sustain life. Within a, a short period of time, literally, I've heard them say the heart exploded. It could not sustain life at a rate of one per second. You're like, well, that's 60 beats a minute. That doesn't seem like a terrible heart rate. No, but then they went back and did studies on the actual heart, and they found out that there is random variability between beats. Mm -hmm. And so the first beat to the next might be one second exactly, but the one from the second to the third beat is maybe 0.998 seconds. The one after that is 1.0023 seconds. And there's this variability. And they found that the healthiest people have the highest random variability. There's no predictability. So they call that heart rate variability. It's your ability to vary your heart rate. You see, if I'm sitting here talking to you right now, my heart rate's going to be a little bit higher than when I'm sleeping. And mm. it's going to be a little bit lower than if I'm jogging on a treadmill. And if I'm doing an Ironman, well, my heart's a lot higher than that, especially near the end of the race where it's just pounding through my chest. <laughs> I have no experience with that. That's all you. But, but you want your heart. Now, now, if your heart rate stayed low and you're running on a treadmill, you'll pass out. You need your heart rate to go up. You need blood pressure to go up. Variability is your ability to vary your heart rate. And it basically tells you how variable is that heart rate. If it's possible to vary, now if, you, if you're having trouble varying your heart rate, heart rate variability is low. That means stress can cause illness and injury. This is a great, great topic. Um, and I was, I'm thinking about the training I go through and the coach that I work with, and we spend a ton of time on our heart rate zones for that same reason. So like most of my training is in a zone two, zone three. I'm not pushing the envelope because I'm trying to build that endurance. And, and when I get to race day, I really don't even look at the clock. I, I just look at my heart rate. And if I hit 155, I know I need to back off. If I'm at 145, I can push a little. And I just maintain for the long term. And what's interesting, you know, 15 years ago when I started this, that was never in the play. It was just put your shoes on and go for a run or get on your bike and just do your training, which leads me to a, finally a question. What other tools have you seen come to the market over the last five, 10 years that sort of this, the average athlete, the weekend warrior is now using that five, 10, 15 years ago, we had no idea that only the professionals were using. Anything else come to mind? Oh yeah, I, I I remember when I was in school, I, I was part of a uh, I I was in a laboratory where we would actually measure lactic acid levels in the muscle using a needle, and they they would it, it almost felt like a biopsy of the muscle. They would have them run and see what their lactic acid levels were, and then we would tell them yeah keep pushing or don't push, 
Um, I also know cortisol has a lot to do with it. Cortisol levels will fluctuate. So, so when it comes to, and, and my area seems to be a little more in resistance training. So I, I've, so some of the studies I've seen is when you start lifting weights and let's say everything is good and you're healthy and you're ready for that weight training session, when you start lifting weights, your cortisol, your cortisol level actually dips a little bit and your growth hormone starts to go up. But what happens about 30 minutes into that weight training session, growth hormone plateaus and starts to drop. Cortisol starts to come up. And there's a time where cortisol and growth hormone are at the same level and then cortisol continues to go up. If you are a bodybuilder, extremely obsessed with every cell of muscle you can build and not lose a little bit of muscle whatsoever, that's when you would drop the weights and walk out of the gym. So we would actually measure and see where, now these are harder tests. Cortisol testing is done through saliva and you have to deposit a sample like every four hours and see where the cortisol levels are. And then if you're working out, then it's like every few minutes, it's a lot, a lot more difficult. So it's not something you can do at home. Um, another one is uh, something came out recently. They wear these gloves that cool your hands with, mm. with cold water and, uh, and, uh, when your blood is colder, your endurance is much higher. You could actually do 20, 30% more repetitions if you're doing reps of a certain weight or you could run further and longer before you experience fatigue. So, uh, and, and I don't know what the physiology behind that is, but we're, they're, just, they're just studying and discovering cold hands is, is, is something. We, we have ways of stimulating um, cell, cellular repair and regeneration through certain light frequencies laser so just like sunlight can hit your skin and the minute sunlight hits your skin your skin will convert cholesterol to vitamin d well there's a type of red light frequency that when it hits you it stimulates mitochondrial activity which produces higher levels of atp atp is energy for the cell so on the cellular level we can increase cell metabolism so an injured cell can repair faster so a lot of these runners you know um, you're if you run longer than 30 minutes or you do any kind of cardiovascular activity longer than 30 minutes, you're starting to create some micro damage to, to the cartilage, to the joints, to the muscles, and so on. So that's what needs to recover. Well, there's, there are these beds. They look like tanning beds, but it's a red light. Uh, um, Thor, the company Thor, which created Thor Laser, which we have one in our office, uh, uh, can uh, you lie down in that? And 20 minutes wow. of you seem to recover way faster. So So if you can only do a... You know, uh, let's say you're training, you, you, you're at the place where you have to do a 13-mile run in your training, but you're not going to do another 13-mile run two days later. Uh, but if you lie in this bed, you can't, and, and you're wow. going to do it. So, um, there, yeah, there's a lot coming out. Unfortunately, a lot of this stuff is very, very expensive. And then there is a huge amount of research being done on stem cells. And, and um, Tony Robbins just put out a book called Life Force. Uh, which digs deep into a lot of this new technology of, of stem cells where they're injecting stem cells in the different parts of the body. There are varying types of stem cells. There's stem cells that you can, you know, you can uh, extract from you and inject back into yourself. And then there's placental stem cells. And then obviously fetal tissue stem cell is illegal and completely um, immoral, unethical. So that's not done, but I know there's some uh, illegal places that use those as well. But They've seen some incredible things. For example, they have a spray gun. So people have burnt, been burnt, um, second, third degree burns. They'll spray them with stem cells with this gun. And within a few days, they regenerate their, their skin wow. cells. Regenerate, 
and there's no scarring whatsoever. That's amazing. You know, it's interesting you brought up the cold hands. Um, I was listening to a Huberman Lab podcast a few months back. Actually, it's probably a year ago now. And they were talking about that same theory and, and that these gloves were invented and how much energy and heat you lose out of your hands. Or actually, the other way, it cooling the body. And I was doing a race and I was on the bike and I was struggling a bit. And I looked down on my hands. And I was just sort of daydreaming. I look at my hands and I've got gloves on. And I'm like, well, wait, so I'm, and I train with gloves because you do a lot of cycling and you just want the wear and tear. So I took the gloves off and I moistened my palms and like put them in front of my bike so that the wind would cool them off and I could feel my body change. And I was like, wait, like, this stuff works. It's amazing. So I mean, <laughs> cool. I, yeah, I'd love to shift gears a little bit and talk about your practice and uh, your locations, what type of customers you see, what you specialize in. Like, talk to us a little, and then even, a little further back, like how you got into one being a chiropractor, health professional, and then two, actually starting your own business. So um, first and foremost, I was nine years old and I decided I had to become a doctor. And, and the reason was my father and I, I grew up in Iran. So uh, my father and I were traveling in these remote villages in the mountainside in Iran. In this one village, a woman went into labor and she was in a lot of pain, having complications in this village, there's no doctors, there's no hospitals. A midwife came over, examined her in her home, and then said, there's no heartbeat, I can't do anything. The baby is not alive, she's not gonna make it. And she left. And at the age of nine, I was looking into the eyes of this young woman who was just told, she's not gonna live another few hours. And her husband was right there holding her, crying. The, they're both distraught. And, and I start to have this panic anxiety attack where your chest feels tight, your heart's pounding, trying to catch your breath. And I'm a little kid. I've never seen anyone die in front of me. Uh, tears are coming down my face. My dad, he picked me up. He held me. He carried me out of there. He calmed me down. And the two of us climbed down the mountain. We got in our car to drive home. On the drive home, I said, Dad, I don't want to feel like that ever again. Yeah. You know, like I can't help. Like there's nothing I can do to help. And he said, what are you going to do about it? I said, well, I have to go become a surgeon. I'll be the best surgeon in the whole world. And I'll carry my medical bag with me everywhere I go so I can save lives. Ten years passed. I was a student at George Washington, and I wanted to go to medical school, be a surgeon. I went home for Christmas break. This is my sophomore year, 19 years old. I went home. Dad had a big, thick, white neck brace on. He, you could tell he was on some serious painkillers. And he was limp and numb from the shoulders down both hands. He has no sensation, massive amount of pain. And he couldn't even lift his arms to give me a hug to, to, to even say hello. So during that Christmas break, we had about six weeks. We went doctor to doctor trying to figure out what's wrong with dad. Every doctor we went to said, this is way beyond my scope. This is more serious. You got to go to this other doctor. We ended up in the neurosurgeon's office. The neurosurgeon said, you need a surgery yesterday. We're going to break and remove the bones in the back of your spine. We're going to put rods and screws on the sides, fuse your whole neck. You will never turn your head again. You may not regain function of your hands, but we're hoping you'll have less pain and there's a chance you're going to die because you're old. Now, dad was 70 years old. And, and you know, that 70 is not that old if you're taking care of yourself. Mm. But if you're not, you can be an old 70 or a young 70. He was the old 70. And so we're worried about this. The second and third neurosurgeon all agreed he needs the surgery. We got in a taxi to go home. I was sitting in the back of the taxi carrying dad's x-rays, MRIs, CTs, medical records. I looked over at him sitting next to me and I could tell he's just cringing because every bump that taxi hits is sending a lightning bolt of pain through his entire body. Looking in his eyes, I could tell he didn't want to live anymore. 
And I got all anxious again, just like I was in that village, seeing that woman slowly pass away in her husband's arms. And I'm getting all choked up and getting teary-eyed. And this, this taxi driver, he looked at dad and I in his rear view mirror. He said, sir, I noticed you're in a lot of pain. And I know you asked me to take you home, but there's a chiropractor right down the street over here. I don't know what he does, but I've heard he helps people like you. Would you like me to take you there? I was a 19-year-old know-it-all. I believe there's no other way to get better outside of drugs and surgery. Dad was the wise one. He said, he, and he was terrified of the surgery. So he said, whatever it takes, let's do it. Let's check it out. So we pull up to this chiropractor's office. And long story short, the, the guy was able to look at him, looked at all the x-rays, MRIs, and CTs that we were carrying. And then he looked at dad, said, I can help you. He said, I'm not going to do it by breaking, removing bones, or putting you on painkillers for the rest of your life. Definitely no rods and screws in your neck. What I will do is with my hands, gently adjust to little by little get pressure off these nerves in your neck. And as pressure comes off, your body will begin to self-heal and self-regulate. And that sounded like, you know, science fiction to me. I didn't think the body could heal, uh, but it can. Uh, and so he, he said, it's not going to be easy. You got to be in here six days a week for the next six months. Now, most people don't need that much chiropractic care, but dad was in bad shape. So, so he, he said, I'll do it, whatever it takes, six months, six days a week. At the end of six months, he went in there. He had full use of his hands. He could turn really? his head, no more pain, never had surgery, no more medication. He lived another 18 years. He lived to be 88 years old. At 88, he was younger than when he was 70 because he could walk. He'd wake up and work out every morning go out the door, go visit his friends. His friends are in nursing homes, but not dad. He's living a good life, taking care of himself. He lived long enough to stand next to me as my best man when I got married. He lived long enough to meet my first son when he was born. And uh, I learned a couple of things from that. Number one was when you hurt and suffer, you're not the only one who suffers. Because mm -hmm. dad was sick, my mom was suffering, I was suffering, everybody hurts. So if you take good care of your health, you're not doing it just for you. You're doing it for everybody who loves you and everybody that you love and care about. You don't want to end up being a burden on them. So that's that's one. The other one was that's where I got my passion for chiropractic. And uh, the story is a bit longer, but I eventually ended up going to chiropractic school and became a chiropractor in the year 2000. And uh, 2003, I opened my first office with a business partner. We struggled tremendously the first year. Then we hired a consultant who told us, you know, hey, Business is very different. You guys know how to take care of patients, but you have no idea how to run a business. So I got a crash course on business over the next two years. Then I became a consultant, uh, opened another office in 2006. I sold my half of the first office to the partner. I opened another office in 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. And um, we've been doing great. We have two locations right now, uh, three doctors, 15 uh, employees, and uh, we, we see somewhere between 20 and 25,000 visits annually. And uh, if I find more chiropractors, I think we can grow and expand to more locations. I love that story. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm curious, with my business hat on, what lessons did these consultants or the lessons of hard knocks teach you about sort of, I'm sure you remember day one of opening up your practice and where you are today, like what have some of the big lessons learned been? You set your core values and don't compromise. Mm. You stick by them. So, so we, we, have, uh, we have five core values. The first three I'll share with you is simplicity, sincerity, and excellence. So if it's not simple, we don't do it. 
So we, we, we may be thinking about bringing a new product, bringing in a new procedure uh, and other source of revenue. If it's not simple, we won't do it. We look at it, we go, hey, our number one core value is simplicity. Well, if it's not simple, we don't want to do it. I don't like complexity and I don't want to deal with it. Number two is sincerity. Is it sincerely best for the patients and for the team? If it's not, then we're not going to do it. Even if it's going to generate millions of dollars, we are not going to do it because sincerity mm -hmm. is our number two core value. And number three being excellence. Excellence in our definition is doing your best in the amount of time you have with the resources available to you. So could you have done better in this amount of time with these resources? And if you could have, you should have. So may, let's make sure it's excellent. So our practices, um, and this may come as a shock, we don't accept insurance. So our patients drive past 30 other chiropractic offices who take their insurance just to come see us, which means we better be delivering extra value, value that's above and beyond. So they, And we are not cheap. Our services actually cost more than most others, but we rely on technology and we do exactly what's best for the patient. The main reason I don't participate in insurance. And I think this is actually a marketing message. They call it the unique um, selling proposition, right? The, the unique selling proposition is, I'm not gonna follow your insurance guidelines to take care of you because your insurance company is concerned about saving money, not getting you healthy. They want me to patch you up and send you out the door. They want me to use the cheapest equipment, use the least amount of time with you, patch you up and get you out the door and, uh, and, and get rid of you. That's not what we do. Our patients typically stay with us for life. Now, I know you've heard that the saying, once you go to a chiropractor, you have to go for the rest of your life. I want to tell you that's actually true. You should. And, and even if you've never been to a chiropractor, you still should go for the rest of your life. It's almost like saying, once you start exercising, getting fit, you're going to have to do it for the rest of your life because when you stop, you go backwards. You know, or or don't don't start brushing your teeth because if you start brushing your teeth, now you have to do it every day. You can't ever stop. That's ridiculous. So, but chiropractic isn't something you have to go to every day. Like my dad had to go six days a week for six months. We have patients that stop in a few times a year and we do their heart rate variability check to see if they're handling stress properly. And we do an analysis of their spine, see if we run computerized tests, uh, surface electromyogram, thermography uh, to see if the nerves are firing properly. And we do functional neurolog neurologic tests measuring balance between right and left hemispheres of the brain and the cerebellum eye movements. We want to see if their body mm -hmm. is balanced and working properly. And if all of that's going good, well, then we'll check you later and we'll x-ray our patients about every two years, kind of like your dentist does, to see if there's any degenerative changes starting, to see if there's misalignments that are being persistent that aren't being corrected. And we go from there. Now, um, when you start with us, our first focus is usually feel better because most people come in Let's say 70% of our patients come in because they're hurting. Something's bothering them. So feel better. But then you can stop after you feel better. Or you can go to phase two, which is get stronger. Because like I said earlier, how healthy you are depends on how much stress you can safely handle. You need to become stronger in the face of stress. I'll tell you a business principle. How successful you are also depends on how much stress you can safely handle. Mm -hmm. And you can extrapolate that to your income too meaning how much money you make, also is determined by how much stress you can safely handle. Every time you add a zero to your income, you've got a little more stress, I promise you. And it just gets bigger. So you have to be able to tolerate and handle it. So feel better, get stronger. Then we work on longevity, how to feel younger all the time. 
And that's those are the stages we take our patients to. And that's why they stay with us long-term. That's why insurance doesn't cover it because insurance doesn't care about longevity or being stronger or functioning better. But we do, and you should too. My chiropractor is a chiropractor for life. Um, and in fact, we've moved probably 30 minutes further away from her and I'll still make that drive. And she doesn't take insurance and a very similar approach where it's, um, you know, she's a multi-athlete, multi-discipline athlete as well, world champion, you name it. And if a month, three weeks go by and I haven't seen her, I feel it. And it's, oh, when am I going to go see Dr. Kathy? When am I going to go see Dr. Kathy? It's, it is very much like brushing your teeth. Um, so, I mean, you, you talk a lot about stress. I assume there's some burnout conversation in that as well. Um, talk, give us a little bit more insights on, on managing stress. You know, we've got an audience member who's listening to the podcast, but thinking about work and he's got his or her family, like all this chaos in their life. What's sort of like step one of, of handling those stressful pieces of life? Okay, so, so I'm going to break it down in a very, very simple three-stage process. Uh, stage one, and, and what I'm talking about, what you're going to go through when you're stressed. So, so initially, something happens. Let's, say you, you, let's just say you start having um, uh, financial issues in the business. Revenues dipping, expenses haven't gone down, and you're having trouble. Uh, and, and that's been going on for a little while. So the first stage is wired. You become wired, which means you're heightened, alert, and aware and uh, you're pushing, like, what do I got to do? What do I need to do? So that's stage one. Stage two is wired and tired. If you stay in that state long-term, you become wired and tired. Now you're tired, but you can't sleep. So, so the first phase is you, your appetite's low. You, you, know, you, you may be getting sick a little more than usual. Um, your your um, digestion slows down. Just, just a little, you, you, you're not yourself. One of the things is in, in a state of fight or flight, the neocortex typically shuts down. More blood goes to the primitive centers. So it's hard to reason and, and use wisdom and logic to solve the problem. So uh, I'll teach you what to do about that. So stage two is wired and tired. Wired and tired is that's the person who says, I'm too tired to fall asleep, which sounds like, an, uh, like a dichotomy. You know, it's, it's like saying it was raining so hard, I didn't even get wet. Um, if you're tired, you should fall asleep. So if you're wired and tired, though, you can't fall asleep because your body thinks you're being chased by a pack of hungry wolves. You can't lie down and take a nap if you're being chased by hungry animals, crazy predators. And so um, that's when, and, and everybody's experienced this, you lie down, you shut your eyes, and the same silly thought circulates in your brain over and over. And like, I don't want to be thinking about this. This isn't even that important, but I can't shut down my mind. That's when you know your body's in fight or flight and you're in that second stage of stress. The third stage is just pure exhaustion. We call mm -hmm. that adrenal fatigue as well. Now your adrenaline glands just can't produce much more adrenaline. And that's the person who falls asleep in church on Sunday morning. That's the person who falls asleep watching a great movie in the theater where there's surround sound and everything else. And it's an exciting action-packed movie and you can't keep your eyes open. That's also the person who can drink coffee at night after dinner and still fall asleep at night. That person mm -hmm. Exhausted, their adrenal glands aren't working. So we have to treat those all differently. Best thing to do is catch it early. So the minute you're going through a tough time, you need to do a few things. So I'm going to tell you, obviously, number one, 
in my opinion, is uh, make sure that there's a chiropractor in your life that is checking your nervous system and making sure that your body's functioning properly. Every misalignment has a sympathetic response. Sympathetic means fight or flight. So even if there isn't outside stress or business stress or emotional, relational stress in your life, misalignments do have a sympathetic response, which move you towards fight or flight. Having said that, early morning sunlight is fantastic because the UVB rays are powerful into helping you build vitamin D, which helps repair things in your body as well as maintain cardiovascular function and health, bone, joint health, all that stuff. So early morning sunlight, just get up early, go outside and get some sun rays, 10 minutes. Um, you don't need sunglasses or sun sunscreen with the early morning sun. You burn more midday, 10, 10 to 2 is when you burn more. Um, so stay out of sun during those times. Another one is, um, there's, there's two, there's two sides to nutrition because most people go, you better be eating really well, but you also have to worry about toxins. So removing toxicity is powerful. What are some of the things you're using that create toxins in your body? Uh, smoking, drinking are, are the common ones, but believe it or not, some of the lotions we put on have toxins. There are multiple websites. You can do an easy search and find out that'll tell you every ingredient in every product that you're using and tell you if they do certain things. So for example, there's certain products like dryer sheets, commercial dryer sheets increase estrogen in the body. So we shouldn't be using those. They lead to breast cancer and in men, they lower your testosterone levels. So um, use natural dryer sheets that are different. Um, so remove toxins feed the body, feed deficiency, and remove toxicity. Very, very important. You got to balance the two. When it comes to exercise, it's a two-sided coin as well. So you have to exercise, you have to rest. So you have to balance the yeah. two. So during times of stress, you need to increase your rest just a little bit. So if you're if you're working out in the gym uh, three times a week, why, why don't you work out every third day and take two days of rest in between? Uh, maybe reduce the intensity of uh, some of the things that you're doing just so you're not, so so when you're lifting heavy, you tax the neurologic system. When you do endurance stuff, you tax the cardiovascular system. So the, so you may want to not go as heavy so that the nervous system doesn't get taxed so much. A lot of times when, so so when we fail in like, a, let's say bicep curl, it's because we ran out of acetylcholine, which is the neurotransmitter in the motor end plates that makes the muscle contract. So your muscles aren't totally fatigued yet because uh, the old uh, in, in the 80s, the Russian created this thing called Russian stim. They would put electrodes on your biceps. And when you failed, they would turn it up and send electricity into the muscle and you'd crack out one or two more reps. And that was one of the tricks they were doing besides the steroids and everything else the Russians were doing. Um, but that's, I think that's one of the reasons they won so many gold medals and so on in the 80s. Um, visualization is a powerful thing. Uh, every time we worry, we're visualizing the negative worst case scenario and the body doesn't know the difference between something that's imagined versus something that's actually being experienced. You can't tell the difference. Just like I told you, excitement and anxiety are the same response in the body. It's the same thing. So you have to really focus on not visualizing the negative and worry visualizing the negative. I'm not going to make payroll this week. I'm not going to make payroll this week. I'm not going to make payroll this week. You go, okay, figure out what the worst case scenario is, come up with some options and see what happens. You have to visualize and then you need to visualize this, this is going to be a great story because next year, this time, I'm going to sit with somebody like Greg and I'm going to tell my story about how we missed payroll and it was a tough time, but we made it through and we're stronger for it. Two things can happen during tough times, recession, um, 
um, you, you know, stock market collapse, whatever it might be, you know, people don't want to spend as much money. Prices are high. Your supply chain is missing. What do you do? Well, two, you have two options. Some people pack up their bags, shut their doors and walk away from their dream. Or you can innovate, right? Innovate and figure it out. When, when the pandemic happened and, and they shut everything down, um, I pulled my team into, into a room and I sat everybody down and I said, okay, most likely this is temporary. But I want everybody in this room to assume this is permanent for the rest of our lifetime nothing's going to change. How can we continue conducting business in this climate, in this environment? We are not going to sit around and wait for things to change. And then we started throwing ideas around. Okay, let's, let's increase marketing. We doubled our marketing budget. We said we're going to run more ads. We're going to talk to more people. We're going to figure out how to do some of our classes on Zoom instead of in person. And we just kept going. It, it, it's, it's neat because we kind of grew during that time. And then that was when we had already signed a lease on the second office. So we couldn't back out of that. So we still have to go through and open a second office when everything's shut down. But, you know, the government deemed chiropractic essential and we didn't have to shut down the office and uh, everything turned out great. So now we're considered essential, which is a good thing. Uh, another one is music. Music is so powerful. You, you, you know, there are certain songs. The first note of that song sends you back to your glory days mm-hmm. instantly. Right. This is why greatest athletes always use music to get in the zone. Right. Because. Because it takes you back to a time when you felt invincible. So times are tough. Put on that song and listen to it every day. Physiologically, it changes you and brings you back out of that so that you're not sitting and focusing on the bad stuff. You're going, hey, I did that and I did that. There's a story in the Bible, you know, where where David is going up against Goliath and the the king goes, you're a scrawny little 17-year-old. How are you going to beat Goliath? And he goes, he goes. well, you know, when I was watching my sheep, I, I killed the wolf and the bear and the lion. And uh, if I can beat those, I can beat this guy. So, so you're building on your past, your past um, successes. And, yeah. and then you, you go, so if I can make it through those, yeah, this is different. But if I made it through those, I can make it through this too. And you go forward. Um, so this is, this is the mon- one thing I, I want to, I'm going to give you two tips right now. So first you're wired, then you're wired and tired, then you're exhausted. That exhaustion makes you susceptible to heart disease, which means you could have a heart attack in that adrenal fatigue state. It takes years to get there. So if you had five years of business financial stress and you're exhausted now, and you're the one who can sleep standing up, you, you're susceptible to heart disease. So early on, what you have to do is do a breathing technique. The breathing technique is based on the fact that inhale is sympathetic, which is fight or flight. So if you sneak up behind me and pop a balloon, I'm going to gasp for air. Inhale. When I find out, oh, Greg's just playing a joke on me, I'm going to breathe a sigh of relief. I'm going to do a slow exhale. Everything's okay. So you can trick your physiology by believing everything's okay by doing slow exhales. And so you, you count to five when you breathe in, you count to 10 when you exhale and do 10 breaths in the morning, 10 in the evening. And you'll come out of that wired state. If you're in the wired and tired state where you can't fall asleep at night, do the same thing. Slow breath in, exhale twice as long. So count to five, not too fast, but make sure you're counting with the same rhythm so it's exactly double the amount of exhale as you did inhale. Before you hit breath number 10, you'll be asleep. That's a guarantee. So now 
if you're the kind of person who wakes up in the middle of the night and every time you wake up, it's the same time, you know, like, I don't know why it's 3.12 a.m. I wake up every, every time I wake up, it's 3.12 a.m. What's the deal? That means your blood sugar is not stable. And so we need to, we need to look into, you know, so if you were in our office at that point, we, we do a big system survey, have you answer like 208 questions and then talk, come up with supplements. Um, most common one being fish oil, but there's other ones that uh, can, can stabilize and balance your blood sugar. Um, but until we stabilize and balance the blood sugar, if you're the kind of person who can fall asleep pretty easy, but you wake up in the middle of the night around the same time, almost every night, you need to eat something else before you go to sleep. And I know they all say, don't eat too late in the day. I don't know where that came from. I think it's for people who get a lot of heartburn and when they lie down, they get acid reflux. If you don't get acid reflux when you lie down after you eat, there's nothing wrong. This is my personal opinion. I've never seen any research that says it's bad to eat late at night. Never seen research. In fact, I know a lot of bodybuilders who wake up in the middle of the night, eat and go back to sleep just, just to feed their bodies with more calories. Um, so uh, if, if you're waking up a lot and you, you need that continuous sleep, restful sleep, try to make sure you eat something right before you go to bed, something substantial that has a good amount of protein in it. Um, so that's, that's one. Another one. If you're stressed, you're worried, business is tough, things are going haywire and you need to control things, how you eat is more important than what you eat. Most of us are so stressed about, I got to eat right. I got to eat the perfect organic healthy foods and the right macros. And I'll give you uh, an example. It's called the French paradox. French paradox refers to people in France. French people are immune to heart disease and obesity. In fact, if you've ever been there, I spent three weeks in Paris a few years ago with a friend of mine. And uh, the only obese people you saw were Americans visiting as tourists. The French were not obese. And, uh, and I, I believe it's because of this one thing. It's be, now, now think about this. They eat wine, cheese, and bread with every meal. So, so you ate wine, cheese, and bread every day, lunch, and dinner. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, how would that work? Because I don't do that. And, uh, and I'd be worried about doing that. But they do, and they're not obese. They don't have heart disease. And it's because of this one thing. This is the secret. They eat slow and they eat in the right mindset. See, when we were yeah. when we were in Paris, we would dinner would take minimum two and a half hours. Minimum. Lunch would take two hours. And you sit down, you relax, and you 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 sip your drink and you talk. In fact, in kindergarten, so so I have three sons, and they've all they're all done with kindergarten. But when they were in kindergarten, the teacher would always tell them, eat faster, stop talking. In France, they tell the kindergartners, why are you eating so fast? Talk to your friends. Complete opposite. It's a cultural thing. But so how do we apply that to our life today? I'm busy, right? I told you how many patients we see, how much staff I have, how much I have to manage, two locations, whatever. And listen, some of you people listening have 10 times what I have. This is nothing compared to what some of you guys have. But let's say I only have 15 minutes to eat lunch. I'm not going to grab my food and shove it in my mouth. It could be the healthiest food on the planet. It's going to become poison in my body. It's going to sit in my stomach. It's going to rot. It's going to ferment. And then I'll get splashes of acid reflux. And it just, it's not going to be healthy. By the time it gets in my intestines, it's not nutritious anyways. So what I do is I'll play some classical music. I'll sit down at my desk, put the work aside, 15 minutes. I can afford this. That's all I have. And I, I say a little prayer of gratitude. And I start eating slow as if I have all day to eat. And I may only get through a third of my food in those 15 minutes. Mm. But afterwards, I pack it up, I put it away, and I go back to work. 
because how you eat, the mindset you're in, if your body is in fight or flight, you're in your car, rush hour traffic, on the phone, hands-free, <laughs> with an associate, business associate, and you're late for your next appointment, and then you put something in your mouth, that food, I don't care how healthy it is, it's poison. It becomes poison mm. in your body because in fight or flight, you cannot receive nutrition. You have to change that. How you eat is more important than what you eat. So if you only learn two things today, do the breathing exercise, especially if you're having trouble falling asleep at night, and make sure you eat in a peaceful environment, peaceful mindset. Say, hey, I'm about to eat. This is sacred time. I have 10 minutes. Doesn't matter. 10 minutes of slow, sacred time. Then you can go back to work. That's so powerful. Uh, it's magical. And I'm just thinking about lunchtime. <laughs> And I, I will be more intentional when I go upstairs and, and have some lunch. I mean, we could go on and on and on. And I love our topics. Tell the audience how to, how to get in touch with you. Absolutely. Um, our office website is midatlanticclinic.com. My personal website is drrashidian.com. And then you can find my books on Amazon. Uh, the first book is called The Stress-Proof Life. The second one came out last October. And it was a number one bestseller in four categories, number one new release. And um, it's called Cracking the Stress Secret, How to Turn Pressure into Power. Uh, it, it looks like this. So I would greatly appreciate if you would leave me a review if you decide to get it and read it. And if you're in the area, stop by. I'll sign it for you. And um, I look forward to connecting with you. Now, our YouTube channel has a lot of this information in it in bite-sized pieces, uh, short videos. Uh, the YouTube channel is called Real Chiropractic. Fantastic. And we'll put those show notes and your links and the links to your book. I'll order my copy right away and I'm going to run up to your office in a few weeks and do have that signed. I mean, it's awesome to have you on the show. I wish I had three hours of time just to nitpick and, and I'm going to research that, that Bruce Lee quote because I suspect you are right about, you know, there's not, what was it, um, about plateaus? Yep. Yeah. Um, and so we'll include that link in our, in our show notes as well. Awesome. Again, so many great takeaways uh, off the bat that your comment around anxiety and how that's truly just energy in a different form. And I should be asking myself that question, like, why am I so excited about going up on stage and talking to a thousand people about, about financial management instead of worrying about all the things that are going to go wrong? So again, great to have you on the show. Tons of awesome content for our audience. For those of you who are listening, please go and like our show, leave some comments. Let's keep this conversation moving. Thank you for tuning in to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. To hear more inspiring stories and strategies around the endurance mindset, be sure to subscribe below or visit us at chiefenduranceofficer.com. Until next time, keep pushing those limits.